It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program on this Wednesday morning. Thanks for joining us on SEN 11.70am in Sydney, of course, wherever you tune in via the SEN app. You know what to do. Pick up the phone. Give me a call. Our thanks to Vossi and Brandy for setting the scene this morning. Game day experience. We'll continue that chat off the back of their chat with Manly CEO Tony Mestroff. In terms of the weather for Sydney, it's starting to warm up. So maximum of 26 along the coast today. Up and over 30 degrees out west, 31 for Richmond, 31 for Penrith. And then it really starts to warm up tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday is going to be the hot one. Uh, Depending on where you're at in and around Sydney, maximums of over 35 degrees. So 35 for the coast, which will push it up towards 40 out west. So we'll keep our eye on the weather as the back end of the week approaches. That game day experience chat was absolutely fascinating and it's a no-brainer for me. I mean, we have to make the game day experience better for the punter and whatever way, shape or form they can do that, I'm up for it. I'm up for the bells and whistles. I'm up for half-time stuff. I'm up for entertainment. I'm up for whatever you want. Drone shows, the lot. Anything that you can make that game day experience better, then I'm in. I'm in 100% because... When you think about the way that modern day sport is going and how much is out there in the marketplace, you've got to make that game day experience count. You've got to get them coming back to where you've had them and you want them to come back and especially the kids. You've got to make it so they go, I want to to go back to my oval. I want to go back and watch my team win, lose or draw because I've had a great experience but I want to take it a little bit further and this is off the back of our discussion yesterday and has continued throughout the night about the viewing experience. So what about the viewing experience? Remember we now know that Amazon Prime Video are coming into the scene in the ICC cricket tournaments. In Australia we are blessed. We've got some of the absolute best broadcasters in the business when it comes to sport. You've just been listening to a couple right there. So we don't need to go down that track because I think we all agree that our viewing experience, whether you're watching free-to-air or whether you're watching subscription TV or whether you're in the streaming services at the moment, is pretty darn good. And our sports broadcasts have been leading the way, but it's changing rapidly, massively and quickly. Yeah, we have to pay for it, but that's the way that it's going to roll out. So is there something in the viewing experience too that you would like to see? that you want more of or less of, whatever it is. It's really interesting that the focus on the game day has come back, especially after COVID. You've got to make it easier for people to get in. You've got to make it more cost-effective. You've got to give them what they want. And simple things make a difference. 
clean, accessible bathrooms, cheap and easy to get food. Don't have me shouted at by a security guard when I'm just standing there lining up to get a beer, all that kind of stuff. But what about when you're sitting at home? Are you getting what you want out of your remote control? And what else do you want? Why don't you dive in on that this morning, 0457 736 736. Like I said, I think we're blessed in this country for a long time. We've been leading the way in world sports broadcasting with innovations left, right and centre. But it's changing at a pace with which we haven't seen before. And it's coming very, very quickly, whether we like it or not. Coming up this morning, Ollie Davies from the Sydney Thunder will join me um, fresh off getting some runs for New South Wales against Tasmania in their victory in the Sheffield Shield. He's also represented Australia A throughout the course of the year and hit his first Sheffield Shield century. He's a star of the game, so we'll cover a whole range of issues with Ollie, including the art of hitting big. So if you're a park cricketer or you're an emerging cricketer in particular, how do you go about hitting the ball like Ollie and others do? And what kind of practice do they get up to? Believe me, from my club perspective, and Ollie is part of the Manly Club that I'm involved in, it's dead set dangerous at times in the nets there, especially when the guys decide to tee off. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. So looking forward to that chat. Barat Sundarayson will be with me. There's a lot to chat in the world of cricket, no doubt. And Ken Peace also is the author of a book called The Bull, David Warner Daring to be Different. Gives some really good insights. It was published a couple of months ago. And Ken is an accomplished author and sports journalist. And he'll join me to discuss the ins and outs of what's going on with David Warner at the moment publicly. And what about David Warner the subject of his book, The Bull, Daring to be Different. And Scotty Sattler will be along to talk footy as well. Now, tomorrow I will give you my final show for the year. Before I take a little break, tomorrow I'll give you my top 10 sporting stories. A little bit different to sporting moments. I mean, obviously some of the biggest sporting moments produce some of our biggest sporting stories, but some also didn't. I'll give you my top 10 sporting stories of 2023. So we'll do that tomorrow and we'll recap some of the big stuff that perhaps you've forgotten about. But this morning, I want to roll it forward. Ahead of that, let's get ahead of the curve here. What do you think will be the biggest stories in sport next year, in 2024? Why don't you hit me up with a top three this morning? I want the three biggest sports stories that you can crystal ball for me in 2024. Has it got to do around state of origin? Michael Maguire, the new coach. Does David Warner perhaps tell all? What happens in live golf? I'll get to that in just a sec. I mean, there's so many storylines for us to follow. So give me your top three. It's a prediction, yes. But it's crystal ball time. The biggest sports stories of 2024. And then I'll count down my top 10 of this year tomorrow. Now, some news out of golf and live golf in particular. And it steps further towards John Rahm, perhaps stepping across to live. He's been, well, not named. His name is missing from a list of players announced for next year's Amex event in January, PGA Tour event, and it's fueling further speculation that he'll join Live Golf soon. If you dive in on the internet or on social media, you will see time and time again that John Rahm's announcement will be made, they're saying, possibly by the end of the week. Now, we've heard this before, but this is another part. He's the defending champion at the Amex It was his second win of this year. He followed it up with the Genesis, the Masters, of course, and the Ryder Cup in one heck of a year where he was world number one, I think, twice along the way. 
So his name's missing from the Amex. At this stage, he won't be there, which means that everybody's piecing it together saying he will be at Live Golf. CBS golf writer Kyle Porter has said, I think we've now reached the stage of it would actually be more surprising if he stayed at the PGA than if he went. So what would it mean for the Live? Well, what does it mean for Live? They get the big signing that they've been chasing, right? And the numbers are astronomical. We know that, $600 million, however which way you want to look at it, and that's US. But what would it mean for the merger deal that was announced in June and continues to be going through the process between Live and PGA? Well, the PGA would lose a massive bargaining chip, but it also may be an indicator that this merger deal may not go ahead because the go-ahead needs to be given by the US government for the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia to be involved in it, to be part of it. So perhaps, depending on which way you look at it, he's jumping ship from the PGA because he's going to get a lot of money or he's jumping ship because the PGA, if they do a merger deal, won't be with the Saudis, which means Liv will stay on its own and PGA will need to go looking for another partner in terms of commercial operations. What other motivation has he got? $600 million. <laughs> He's been very vocal in getting what he wants for the players on the PGA Tour, and I, I, I took you through this a couple of weeks ago. He wanted more bathrooms, as in more rest room spots around the course. He wanted better food, a whole stack of stuff. They gave it to him. They're giving players in the PGA Tour millions of dollars for being popular. Millions. Jordan Spieth got $7 million. Tiger got $15 million. Rory got $12 million for being popular. Of course they are. That's got nothing to do with anything about being popular. It's trying to stave off the money that they're going to get when they go across to live. And motivation is going to be a talking point for us this morning. So why don't we do this on a Wednesday morning? As Vossi just said to Brandy, it's hump day. Um, so why don't we give ourselves some motivation? And we don't have to look far in the world of sport, but the Ange effect, Ange Postacoglu's effect, is starting to really come to the fore. And James Madison, injured star midfielder for the, the Spurs, has given us an insight into what it's like to receive one of Ange Postacoglu's inspirational team talks. Have a listen to James Madison here. He's got that bite yeah. that you need, yeah. He's a... Uh... You talk about having people in the palm in their hand. When he does meetings in the build-up to a game, match day minus one, even on the, the day of the game, you're zoned into his really, meeting. Yeah. Like, I, 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 got, I've yeah. never seen a meeting like it, and I've worked under a good few managers now. And just his motivational speaking. Sometimes I don't even think he means to start it, and he just gets gets into it, and he don't blink really. And he genuinely makes me want to go and play for him and play well for him. You know, he has that he has that charisma, the way the way he talks, and the way. He uses little stories, little messages, little analogies, little whatever he does, it, it works. When then we come out of a meeting and we go back to the change room, the bit he won't see, the lads are like, that's a good one, wasn't it? <laughs> so there you go. An insight into Ange Postacoglu doesn't, possibly doesn't even mean to do what he's doing in there, but he gets them running through walls by the time they get out. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I want you to give me your motivational phrase to get us through hump day. What's going to get us through the next three hours and just make us attack the rest of Wednesday like no tomorrow? 0457 736 736. To be the best, you have to beat the best. What's a good motivational phrase that you've heard? Cricket, 
Well, the Prime Minister's 11 starts today at Monica Oval in Canberra. Of course, the focus on Matt Renshaw, Marcus Harris, Cameron Bancroft in particular, and what happens with the opener's spot post David Warner. Brad Haddon's had a bit to say on Fox Sports, and he's always great to listen to because he puts it, puts it in such measured terms. And he's also spoken about the Mitchell Johnson, David Warner situation. Now, Haddon, Warner, and Johnson were all part of the 2013 14 Ashes series sweep, and also the ODI World Cup success in 15. And Hads has told Fox Sports there were no signs of animosity between Warner and Johnson when he was playing. The, the interesting thing is I, I played with both Davey and Mitch and mate, they've won World Cups together. Um, they've won Ashes series uh, together. They've gone in, in, into battle in, in the fiercest con- conditions uh, side by side. And, and having played a lot of, with them, I, I, I've never seen any beef um, b- between them. So from my point of view, that, that's, a, that's an interesting interesting path that it's taken over the last couple of days. And, and, and I like everyone, I, I'm, I'm a bit lost, a bit from where it came from with, with those two. Um, but as I said, I, I played a lot of cricket with, with both. And and not everyone gets on in, in, in cricket teams. Um, you, you, you have different personality clashes, but you, you respect each other once you get a, a, across that white line. But these two, I've I never seen any beat between them in my time. So, yeah, it, it's it, it's a strange event. But yeah, let's let's hope they, at some stage, when, when the heat goes out of um, what's going on, that they're able to sit down and, and sort out what they need to. So no beef out there and, and some good points there that, that you and I have spoken about, listeners, over the last, well, since this has blown up, that not everyone's going to go to get on when they're playing in a team environment. That's that's a given. We understand that. Where did this come from? Well, we got an insight into that yesterday when the text messages started floating around or Mitchell Johnson talked about the text messages that were floating around off the back of some criticism and he's held on to that. So we now know where it's come from as well. And also Hads makes a really interesting point there too, and that's from a professional sportsman who's very media savvy and does a lot of great stuff on Fox Sports. He's about when the heat comes out of this, right? It's it's boiling over at the moment, and at some stage the heat will come out of it. And if they are willing and prepared to sit down once the heat's gone out of it, then maybe they'll work it out. Maybe not. There's still some time to pass on this one before the heat runs out of the Johnson-Warner beef at the moment that wasn't where, wasn't there when they were playing. So the summer test schedule, just as a reminder, Australia v Pakistan starts in Perth, Optus Stadium next week. Then second test at the MCG, the Boxing Day test, and the SCG January 3-7. to 7. And then we roll into the West Indies, Adelaide January 17-21, to 21, and the Gabba to finish off the test summer. January 25 to 29. And I see too that the WA cricket CEO has pleaded for fans to turn up. Remember last year, the five days at Optus Stadium, or last summer, the five days at Optus Stadium uh, against the West Indies, 42,000 fans turned up. I mean, it was just bare. And they didn't get much to take a look at, did they? And they've got the one Pakistan test this time around. So they want... 70,000 fans to come along for the five days. Highly unlikely. <laughs> Unfortunately, highly unlikely. But but they've got to make sure that Perth is part of the picture and they'll do whatever they can to try and whip it up. BBL Season 13 starts tomorrow night, so we've got the Brisbane Heat against the Melbourne Stars at the Gabba. 
Labashain, Maxwell, Stoinis, Kawaja, all available for that match. But Nathan Lyons already out for the Renegades, the big signing. And it would have been a beauty against the Sydney Sixers on Friday night. But he has been ruled out. The Renegades boss has said, we're disappointed. We signed Nathan on the understanding that his availability would be limited because of his international commitments. And those international commitments, Australia v Pakistan. And the Sydney Thunder will play against the Heat on Tuesday at Monica Oval, and I'll catch up with Ollie Davies very soon. 0457 736 736. I want to know your game day experience that you want. Let's continue that discussion, but let's roll it into sitting on your lounge. What else do you want from your remote control? Is there anything that you can think of? Technology's there. The broadcasters just need to listen to us if there's something that you want or are you happy with what you're getting right now. And motivation, we're doing that to get through this Hump Day Wednesday, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Come and join the program this morning. Predictions, motivations, and viewing slash game day experiences. They're the topics on the table this morning, and the switchboards lit up. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Evan in Wollongong's listening to us. You've got a, an early prediction for me for next year, mate. It is an Olympic year, isn't it? It is, Matty, yeah. Good morning. Merry Christmas to you and everyone at SEN. You too. Thanks. Mate, um, I think the uh, Matildas are dead certs to win the gold medal next year, I think. Oh, right. So there's a nice early prediction. So Matildas to win. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a little sheet of paper here with our predictions on it. Matildas to win, um, to win the gold at Paris. Well, Did you notice there's no... they played... They played. They played Canada, and they um, who are the reigning Olympic champions, and he put the whole reserve grade team out there. He's yeah. smart, that coach. Yeah. Well, isn't it funny? We had that chat yesterday, Evan, about um, with Simon Hill, and and a lot of people are saying, you know, he's smart, or he's he's messing with the squad too much, and they've got another one today, don't they? This afternoon, so we'll see what happens this afternoon with his squad. But I was just going to mention to you when I do my top ten stories of twenty twenty three. Tomorrow, obviously, the Matildas were a massive story. They were a huge sporting event. Do you reckon that they were the biggest story of this year? I think they're the biggest story the last 25 years. I, I, honestly, the, the way that everyone got behind, the whole, the whole country got behind them. Mm. Biggest viewing. I mean, the numbers amazing, were... The, yeah, the numbers at the grounds and obviously on TV and... and um, across the streaming platforms that Channel 7 have were just astronomical. So I, I've got to tell you, I oh, ummed and ahed about where they fit in. I mean, they're obviously top two, in my opinion, right? I've got to, I've, I ummed and ahed, and I'm probably still umming and ahring until tomorrow, about where they rank in terms <laughs> of stories, in terms of stories for sports in 2023. But right, out, we've got you on the list, mate, for a prediction for the Matildas to win gold at Paris. They finished fourth at the Tokyo Games. They've got Canada again this afternoon, who are the reigning Olympic champions. I appreciate your call, Evan. Thank you, mate, and have a Merry Christmas to you as well. Andrew in Newcastle on a viewing experience. So I've taken it a bit further from the game day experience that the boys were talking about this morning. Let's put it into the lounge room experience. What have you got? Yeah, well, you probably... Here's uh, my vintage, Matty. Do you remember... Roy and HG calling the state of origin, like yes. um, <laughs> they had their own version. And I had mates that had no interest in rugby league, but just used to be tied to it because of their humour. And I know SEN do a bias 
um, origin call. So they've got you can either listen yep. to the new New South Wales version or the Queensland version. I think it'd be good, even neutral. if it was the, yeah, or the neutral. You can have the neutral, but we have neutral on Fox. You know, eight, eight games a week. Um, even for even if they, you know, how they do the NRL minis. I reckon the yep. footage is already there. I'd just love to have a. A, if Manly were playing Parramatta, you could just listen to a Manly bias <laughs> mini version of that game where you've got Steve Menzies and a few others just, uh, you know, giving it, giving Manly all the raps and just bagging Parramatta for the half an hour. Right? <laughs> that would be awesome, awesome viewing during the week. Well, they and can, again, across yeah. all games because we are, we all are tribal and, you know, we watch, I watch most games, but the, uh, you know, I watch the, the my, my own team, more intently, and mm. as good as Cooper Cronk and Greg Alexander are at analysing the game, they're, they're too bo- they're too even. You know, we want bias, <laughs> <laughs> which which goes against everything. And I've been in this position, Andrew, that you tell your commentators. I mean, you, you, you dead set, it goes against almost everything. I mean, you want their passion, and you know that they played for that club, um, no matter who you're talking about here, or for that team, or whatever it is. So that passion comes into it. But, yeah, there's there's part of you that says, I don't want to be biased. But you're saying, let's go the other way. And the technology's there. It's well, it's just, again, a matter of getting people, spending money and having the time to do it. Yeah. Well, you know how you're sitting – if you're sitting in a, in a pub or a lounge room with three or four of your mates and you're, you're going for the same team and automatically you think some the, the commentator is against your team, where they're, where they're not actually – so if you just take that away, and it, it makes it, you know, they're only taking the PIWS, and everyone knows that. But it's just it would make it for uh, for those that don't want to watch the game seriously. If I was watching like a Dolphins Broncos game, I'd just like to listen to the you know a biased Dolphins call of it, just to make it a little bit different. All right, yeah, I've got that on the list. Um, lots of you know broadcasters listen to us, mate, throughout the course of the day and the week. We've got our bias calls, if you say, as you said, for Origin, and you'd like to see some minis in particular, just bias comms commentary that's coming out there as a bit of fun as well. Um, certainly doable. Good on you, Andrew. Thank you for that. To Mitch, to Steve, to our other callers, if you don't mind hanging on, I'll go to the news. We'll come back and take your call straight away just after this short news break. Thank you for that, Vanessa. Uh, Ollie Davies is going to join me in just a minute's time. Let's go back to those calls. Apologies, Mitch. I couldn't get to you and you couldn't hang on, but uh, Steve's still on the line. G'day, Steve. Yeah, g'day, Maddie. Happy Easter to you. <laughs> you come out swinging well, there. Cross, what do you got hot, for me? Well, Hot Cross Buns will be out in a couple of weeks, so it must be close to Easter. True. Hey, yeah. big, um, based on Parramatta's recruiting, they'll just remain irrelevant when it comes to Premiership discussions next year. Ooh, so that's your prediction. So you've come in with a prediction for... I mean, irrelevance is a hard word. Um, they've got another tough draw, haven't they? And the way that it's panned yeah. out like like it did this season as well. But you're, you're taking aim at who they've got, as in the cattle they've got, yeah? Well, the cattle are just a year older and a year slower, mate. They, they've, they've not really bought anyone. And to do the same thing year after year and expect something to change, isn't that the definition of lunacy? <laughs> it's insanity, I think, is, is the term for it. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting season, I reckon, for the Eels. I, I think you've touched on something there about, I mean, where did they finish? They ended up finishing 10th last year, so 12 and 12 last year, you know, and even Stevens 
sort of sort of role. And interestingly enough, it's pretty similar to what the Sydney Thunder did last season, which is what I'm going to talk to Ollie Davis about. But yeah, an interesting one ahead for the Eels. I mean, they're going to have to be one of those teams, and there's a few of them that missed out on the finals this year that are going to have to pull their socks up, so to speak, next season. Rabbitohs, the Eels, the Cowboys, Manly. Um, what happens down the bottom of the table, but you always focus on those that are hovering just outside the eight and you wonder what's going to change next year. But, yeah, interesting, mate. I appreciate that. Right, out. let's uh, see what the feedback is on that one. Thank you, Steve. Good on you, mate. Thanks for tuning in, as always, and giving us a call. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy 1170 is that open line. Pick up the phone. Join in anytime. Well, BBL season 13 begins tomorrow night. The Brisbane Heat against the Melbourne Stars at the Gabba. The Sixers will play Friday night against the Renegades. And the Sydney Thunder, well, you've got to wait until Tuesday for their first game against the Heat at Monica Oval. So twiddling his thumbs, I reckon, maybe for the next couple of days or watching the telly. I'm not sure, but joining us right now is Thunder star Ollie Davies. G'day, Ollie. Matty, how's it going? Yeah, I'm good, mate. So you must be just licking your lips and you've got to wait until Tuesday. So what's the plan in between now and then? Just let's start with this. I know you're a cricket tragic, but will you sit down and watch every single game in between now and yours? Oh, it depends how good the surf is. If the, <laughs> if the, surf, if the, if the surf's decent, I might be popping out for a couple of late ones. But um, nah, I think I will try and watch a fair few of the games. You know, I, I'm actually I'm so excited to... Uh, to first of all play again in the Big Bash, but um, I love being able to come home every afternoon and know there's going to be a game on that I can watch. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? And the amount of cricket that we've had this year in particular has been extraordinary, but we can't get enough of it. And I'm going to talk about your career in just a sec, but you've led me to something that I was going to ask you further down the track, but I'll hit you with it now. Cricket is in your blood, Ollie. It's in your family. It's in your life. It's your job. But what else would you have done? We now know that you love your surfing. What else do you reckon you would have done if you hadn't have been a cricketer? Oh, I, well, it's actually quite funny. I um, I love surfing. I'm just not that good at it compared to some other people. So um, I've surfed my, my whole life, but I definitely couldn't uh, make a profession out of that. But uh, I think tennis was the other one that was quite close. I made a couple of hard decisions when I was sort of 12 and 13 about which uh, path I wanted to take and I eventually took the cricket path but uh, I was playing tennis quite seriously and competitively um, you know growing up and probably up until I was about 14 and 15 and then yeah I sort of just pulled the pin on that but I still try and play a bit socially but um, I think yeah tennis would have been the other one I would have tried to go down if uh, if I hadn't have chosen uh, cricket. So the hand-eye coordination is pretty obvious when you take a look at what you can do. Do you think back through all of those tennis balls that you hit as a young bloke and go, wow, this set me up for the cricketer that I've become? Uh, yeah, definitely. I, um, I get made a bit of fun of, actually, just because I tend to use my bottom hand a lot when I'm batting compared to most other people, and I, I really reckon that it has uh, something to do with my tennis. So I'm right-handed, so... I have a one. I obviously uh, have a forehand and then one-handed backhand. So um, I think that that's played a pretty big role in my in my cricket journey and how I potentially you know pick up the bat and, and play my shots. What about the art of hitting big, Ollie? What 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 kind of work goes into being able to hit the ball like you can and like so many modern day cricketers can? I mean, we know the boundaries have come in, bats have become bigger, everything sort of leans towards it, but you've still got to deliver it. And I was I was checking out your BBL stats, mate. You've hit 
essentially just as many sixes as you have fours. So you can go over as much as you can go long, right? So what is the art of hitting big to you? Oh, gosh, this is a tricky one, Maddie. I um, I actually get asked this a fair bit, and I've actually been uh, more often than not asked this by players down at, at Manly, and they always ask me sort of they want to do some power hitting work, and mm. I actually can never pinpoint it, to be fair. I, um, I you know, I tend to, you know, like you were saying, I like to go over the top a lot as much as I like to go along the ground, um, but I think, you know, I obviously am very lucky to get some good gear um, from New Balance. And I think that, you know, though people might not know it, I think the bats do play a big role in uh, the ability to do that. So, um, you know, I think, though, at the same time, it's just a lot about timing. And um, I'm trying to be as positive and and as as aggressive as I possibly can when I bat, especially in T20. So uh, for me, it's just sort of, trying to react as best I can. And if there's a ball there, I try and hit it for six. But um, I think that people get caught in trying to, um, you know, pick a, especially an area of the ground and a certain ball that they're going to try and hit it for six, regardless of where it is. But for me, I think it's just being you know, reactive and understanding that if there is a ball that's there, just to have a nice smooth swing and, um, and try and get it over the fence. So um, that's really all that I'm thinking about uh, with my power hitting and, um, I think I do also have very quick hands, which help me because um, I'm, you know, I'm not the, the tallest or biggest guy going around. So, um, you know, people probably wouldn't expect me to hit the ball maybe as far as what I do. So, um, yeah, those are probably the just few things that I'd like to pick up on. Give us an insight, mate, into especially because I've seen it at manly level and it's pretty crazy when you guys want to start hitting big in the nets. I mean, it's it's dead set dangerous, but I'm wondering what it's like when you get to your next levels, when you get to Sydney Thunder level or New South Wales level or Australia A level in particular, and you, and you start to, I guess, do this rapid-fire technique at training where balls are going left, right and centre. So take us, uh, take us into that mindset and just how damn dangerous it is standing around. Uh, yeah, well, first of all, coaches uh, legally have to wear helmets. So coaches cannot go in and throw balls without wearing a helmet for that exact reason. Um, but, yeah, it is actually pretty scary. The, the person that I absolutely hate bowling to and I genuinely get scared is bowling to Daniel Sam. So my my little off spinners that aren't that great, uh, he tries to hit me for six every single ball. And what I do is I come around the wicket and I try and bowl his left hip all that so he can hit me over mid-wicket for six and not back over my head because if one <laughs> comes back at me, I'm getting hit in the head. So, um, yeah, it, it is it is rapid fire, I must admit, in that sense. Uh, it, and it is quite scary bowling in those nets. But um, I know that a lot of the fast bowlers don't pitch too many balls up because they don't want them getting hit back at them. So, um, yeah, it is pretty scary. And I, uh, I definitely prefer to be batting in those nets than bowling. All right, on to the Thunder. So, as I mentioned, Tuesday night's your first game against the Heat at Monica Roval. Finished even Stevens last year is probably the uh, last season, I should say, the best way to put it. So, what's the talk around the group for season 13 of the BBL and what are you got to do to keep going those few steps further? I, uh, I think that uh, the discussion sort of we had last year was that we were, I guess, really hot and cold with our batting. Um, there are a couple of games where... You know, I was coming in batting at four and five in the in the first power play. So for us, it's sort of just trying to, to build that stable base and get those scores of 150 plus to bring our bowlers into the game because I feel like 
this year especially, um, our bowling is, is going to be red hot. So uh, last year, I think that our bowling was, um, you know, quite clinical and um, our batting was probably just the area that we sort of got, or I guess let ourselves down. So, um, you know, we got the likes of um, Bancroft coming in this year, which I think he'll be huge for our um, top order and, you know, trying to bat for as long as he possibly can. And then we've also signed uh, Liam Hatcher from the Stars, who um, I like to think of being probably the least favourite bowler I'd like to face in cricket going around at the moment. He's he's quick and he just bowls sniffs. So um, I think I think we're looking pretty good with a couple of good signings. Must have been pretty cool to watch the other night Chris Green get his Australian debut in the T20s over there in, in India. Yeah, it was very cool. I, um, you know, uh, I think that that's a, a big reward that he's been aiming for for a long time and um, probably hasn't done it the traditional way as a lot of the other, you know, players coming through the ranks have. He's sort of played a lot of T20 tournaments around the world and, um, you know, this year got his um, New South Wales contract and I think that, you know, he's put a lot of time and effort into trying to, you know, master, I guess, the T20 format. And I think that, um, yeah, his sort of effort and his hard work, you know, flying around the world has paid off. And, um, yeah, I was stoked to see it. And just on a personal level for you, mate, I mean, it's been a pretty big year as well. And, of course, you go into BBL and then we'll get back into Sheffield Shield next February. But you got your first entry at the SCG against WA. You got runs against Tasmania in the recent win and represented Australia A as well. So has your head been spinning on, on 2023 or are you just really focused on the back end of, of this year and into next season? Oh yeah, definitely. I um I feel like I've been I've been batting really well, and um, for me it's yeah not trying to get too far ahead of myself and understanding that you really can only take one ball at a time, and um, the other stuff I guess will take care of itself if you're scoring runs. So um, for me, it's just trying to you know, especially these these coming months, is trying to score as many runs as I possibly can and keep helping the uh, the Thunder win games of cricket and. Um, I think all the other stuff will take care of itself. But I'm, uh, I'm definitely feeling very good with the bat at the moment and I'm hoping I can sort of bring that, that shield form over to the T20 format. Well, it all begins on Tuesday against the Heat down there in Canberra at Monica Oval. Good on you, Ollie. Best of luck for the season ahead. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Maddie. Appreciate it. Right, let's get to your texts on 0457 736 736. Matty, I'm a mad Parramatta supporter. The guy that you just spoke to is 100% correct. It's been like Groundhog Day at Paris since 1986. We wake up each day hoping that Paris is closer to a premiership and then you continue and go on. But um, in your words, and I can't get to the name, I'm sorry on this one, it's such a long text. In your words, you've got... The club is a basket case. Well, as I said, 2024 is going to be an interesting one for a lot of clubs, in particular, in particular, the Parramatta Eels. Paramat, meanwhile, says, Matty, overheard at a local Perth petrol station yesterday afternoon. Mate, do you follow the cricket? To the cashier bloke who was an Indian supporter. Yes. Are you going to the test? Nah, don't think so. It was the Windies last year, and Pakistan aren't much better this year. They both laughed out loud. Enough said, says Paramat. Well, I also went and checked the weather um, for the rest of the week in Perth. In your neck of the woods, mate, you can tell me better than, than uh, any internet site can. So tell me what it's, how it's tracking over there. But um, if it's going to be boiling hot and you've got the Pakistan test there, there's, there's enough of a storyline and enough of a desire to want to see this Australian team to 
warrant a good crowd. I, I think that's the case. I just don't think they're going to get it, which will be a real bummer. I hope they do. And it's not the be-all and end-all because, as you've just said on the text line there, Windy's last year, Pakistan this year, they've got what they've got. And let's see if the crowds vote with their feet or not. For viewing experience, says Steve, I would like more players or playmakers mic'd up. It's great when it happens. I totally agree. I think that's one of the good innovations as well. So the more we can hear and see players and technology plays a part in all this. So think of two things, technology and cost. The technology, I dare say, is there. The cost to use it and um, enact it and have the people to put it all in place is mainly the thing that holds people back. And plus, there is a bit of cut and paste. Let's stick with what we know. Um, But technology is changing at a rapid rapid rate as the streamers get more and more involved and the rest of them have to step up their game. Morning, Greg from Gundagai on the text line says, I haven't been in hiding or anything like that. Been off-grid, breaking in a heap of horses out west of Scone, but I've just had a coffee with my mate Wayne Hawks. Oh, that would have been fun, Greg. And he promised me, get along. We'll win today at Warwick Farm Race 2. Get on, everyone. I'm going to hand that over to our listeners. Uh, Tommy's going to do some digging around Warwick Farm Race 2. Get along. And we'll see. You you can gamble responsibly and decide whether or not you want to back Greg from Gundy. Or you can just go the other way completely. Uh, paying $4.80 today. What are you really gambling with? And it's Warwick Farm Race 2. So a tip there via um, somebody in the game. Thank you for that. Better game day experience, says James. Easier travelling to and from the game. That one goes over to our politicians, James, doesn't it? Um, that doesn't rest with the with the clubs themselves and that game day experience. They they can be responsible for once you get to the to the venue, but thereafter, or be, sorry, before and after, it's up to the infrastructure around it. And unfortunately, as you're right, some of it's very very difficult. If you can get in and out. Uh, it's much easier, and that was certainly one of the key feedback points from Allianz Stadium when it was redone. The in-and-out factor was was much better. Getting into the stadium itself and out of it was um, one of the things that we heard quite often. Then the transport around that is another story altogether. So motivation, viewing experiences, keep them coming right here on SEN, your home of sport here in Sydney. Very good morning and welcome to our listeners on SENQ 693 in Brisbane. Joining us on a very busy Wednesday, of course, the Prime Minister's 11 gets underway this morning down there at Monica Oval in Canberra and a lot of focus, especially on the openers. We'll chat with Bharat Sundarayson soon. And also on the program this morning, the author of a book about David Warner called The Bull, David Warner Daring to be Different, Ken Peace will be my guest a little bit later and Scotty Sattler to go through all the rugby league issues, including David Fafita's injury, undergoing surgery today. 0457 736 736 is my text line or 1300 01 1170 is the open line. What's on our, on our topics of discussion table this morning? Well, off the back of Vossi and Brandy earlier this morning talking about the game day experiences, they had Manly CEO Tony Mestroff on who did a trip over to the States with his coach and general manager of football 
and came back just knowing that we've got to improve our game day experience. So I'll throw that out to you. We can continue that discussion, but also take it back home. And I want to know what else you want from your viewing experience, your lounge room experience when it comes to rugby league or sport in Australia. And the the landscape of Australian sports broadcasting is not changing so much all of a sudden. It's an evolution of what's available to us. And the Amazon deal yesterday, which we covered at length with the ICC tournaments, are also a glimpse into the future that it's here. So within a heartbeat, we could have a totally different viewing experience, which means you should have the right to be able to say, this is what I want to see. Technology will essentially give you what you want to be able to see and do with your remote or your phone, your app, however you want to do it. So let's do that. Your game day experience plus your viewing experience. What do you want? What do you want more of? What do you want less of? Let me know. We're also talking some motivation this morning. Tomorrow on my final program of the year, I'll give you my top 10 sports stories of 2023. So there are a lot of lists going around, and Jimmy and I will do one on Christmas Day where we'll break down the top 10 sporting moments. But tomorrow I'll do it in terms of sporting stories, and we'll see how many make the grade. It's been a very difficult process trying to slot them in any particular order because at the time we've had some really big sporting stories across the course of this year. So what I want to do before that is get your predictions for next year. 2024, give me your predictions on what you think the biggest stories are going to be next year. In cricket, as I mentioned, uh, we've got the Big Bash League starting tomorrow. We've got Prime Minister's eleven and the first test not too far away in Perth. So I've managed to get a uh, bit of a weather check from our mate Parramatta over in the west. He said, putting on my best Timmy Bailey or Alan Wilkie weather forecaster outfit, Perth, hot and dry, hot and dry, hot and dry, hot and dry, hot and dry. Topping 30 degrees every day for the next fortnight with a hint of possible rain late one night. The pitch will be rock hard and bouncing. I'm predicting a three-day test. And that came off the back of our discussion around what type of crowd they could get for this first test against Pakistan. They didn't get a big number for the test in the last summer against the West Indies. And they've got one crack at it here at Optus Stadium. And they're trying to get as many people as they can They're just in that scenario at the moment. However, the big talking point will be around David Warner's form. We know that. We've also had, in the last half hour or so, word from Greg from Gundagai. Now, regular listeners will know that throughout the Melbourne Cup, Greg from Gundy put his neck on the line and got chopped off pretty hard, I reckon. He just kept swinging and kept missing. So he's given us a tip at Warwick Farm today, which is race to number six, get along and uh, he said that he had coffee with the trainer Wayne Hawks and he's prepared to stick the neck out again so that's the scenario there in terms of whether you want to get on or not totally up to you Um, and quite a few people have gone the other way in a heartbeat it leads us to another horse racing story that's developing at the moment but we knew it was coming but we're now starting to get more details if you didn't know down at Mooney Valley they are planning to reinvigorate the entire structure, course, everything around it. So there are major works that are going to be done at Mooney Valley after the 2025 Cox Plate. So they'll hold the Cox Plate Carnival in 2025 and then they'll rip the whole thing up. 
And in their words, we're going to turn it around and build the valley of tomorrow. The course will be different. The short straight's been a feature, but they're going to make it a little bit longer. They're going to put some incredible buildings alongside it. Um, I think there's uh, hotels and all sorts of stuff going in there. But what it does mean is that the Cox Plate won't have a home for 2026 and possibly a couple of years after that. I'm not sure of the, the length of the works that they're thinking about in terms of time. However, they are open to the Cox Plate being held somewhere else interstate. So they would like, obviously, to hold it again in Melbourne, but they've got a Ladbroke sponsorship too around Mooney Valley. So that adds a different complexion to the whole debate. So they're looking for something where they can satisfy their major betting partner there. And if they can't, then they're looking outside of Mooney Valley in Victoria. So who, who do you think should put their hand up here for the Cox Plate? Apparently they've already got interest from other states. Do you want it in your backyard in Brizzy? Do you want to see the Cox Plate in Sydney? Is it ripe for the picking for Mooney Valley to do a deal with Peter Volandis, for instance, and get a bit of that Everest magic around the Cox Plate? The Cox Plate at somewhere else than Mooney Valley just is hard to wrap your head around, but it's going to happen because Mooney Valley won't be able to be used. So why don't you let me know that this morning, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy? It's one of the great races on the calendar. No doubt about it. Absolutely one of the peak races. And just on PVL, Gareth Hall said on Giddy Up this morning on SEN Track that he will go down as one of the greatest all-time leaders in any sport. So hard to argue with that on rugby league and racing as well. And I know that Gareth is a big fan of what Peter Volandis is doing. But if the Cox Plate is sitting there in 2026 and it's up for grabs then you reckon that they'll be having a crack at it, if not having the discussions to have a crack at it. Let me know your thoughts on that, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Uh, can you ask, Greg, if the horse that he's tipping has all four legs working and attached? Yes, uh, apparently it is a four-legged horse, and <laughs> it will run. Or head at the front, tail at the back, and it will run. So <laughs> it's up to you. If you want to back him, back him. If you don't, then step aside. Gamble responsibly. Righto, let's talk cricket. Looking forward to this chat. One of many, of course, across the summer. We can't get enough of Barat Sundaraisen. Good morning to you, mate. Great to have you back on the program. Here we go again. The summer of cricket um, kicks off. Uh, I know. I, I, as soon as uh, I, I heard you and your voice again, or, or on my phone, I always listen to your voice on the radio. I was like, yeah, cricket must be around the corner. But just think about it, Matty. Has cricket actually stopped this year? I don't know That's how, right. when the last summer ended and blended into this summer. That's exactly right. I mean, we've had so much cricket. I just had a chat with Ollie Davies, and he's heading into the Sydney Thunders BBL season. And, of course, you know, been playing for New South Wales, also played for Australia A. You, you can't get enough of it if you're a cricket lover, or perhaps if you're not, there's a little bit too much. But it's been so dramatic <laughs> as well, which, which kind of leads me to the question here around... The Pakistan and West Indies tests um, that are ahead of us across the summer. Of course, we'd love to have a higher standard of opposition, but you can't always get that. I wonder your thoughts around how much interaction from the Australian public will be about wanting to go and see Pat Cummins Mm. lead another team and what the Australians have been up to versus 
what the opposition are doing. I mean, you know, the opposition are the opposition. But do you think that there's a real heavy investment in this men's Australian team? Um, I guess after the year that they've had, and, uh, you know, especially the, um, the level to which Pat Cummins has grown as captain, uh, even since the last time um, the Australian public would have seen him lead aside uh, in the flesh, which should have been the Sydney Test last year against South Africa, which was, as expected, rain mud. Sorry to bring it up. Uh, and uh, from that point on, I mean, just look at the journey he's been on, uh, both personally and, and as, as a leader. Uh, you know, the India tour, uh, I mean, unfortunately having to go back, uh, losing his mother and then coming back from that. Uh, and leading Australia to the World Test Championship win, the the Ashes, which you all, we we all agree Australia should have won, um, uh, but they still retain the Ashes, and then that World Cup campaign. It's amazing. I mean, it's like uh, Pat Cummins uh, 4.0 from uh, compared to what we saw uh, last summer, uh, and also I mean some others as well. I mean, Travis Head seems to have just continued on his merry ride in the last 18 months. Uh, or he just taken another step up. I mean, big fi- 100 in the World Test Championship final and the World Cup final. Uh, and similarly with a lot of guys. And now, obviously, the added curiosity of how is David Warner going to end his uh, test career? And I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that. Uh, mm. I-, I think it'll be more of that than, uh, like you said, the opposition. Uh, Pakistan haven't helped themselves with all the back- background controversy and uh, all the changes that they've made. And the West Indies, unfortunately, are the West Indies. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to have to see what's ahead. Now, let's get into something that you've been you've been um, quizzed about in the last 24 hours because you've had a front row seat at it. You sit down to do your Mitchell Johnson's, Johnson Show podcast, <laughs> which you've been doing for, for a while, and you, I, I'm pretty sure that you had on the on the agenda item the Gabba 2013 test. Is that what you were going yeah. to talk about? And, of course, Mitch goes and writes an article on the West Australia and the whole world blows up and you've got to talk about something different. So <laughs> g- give us your snapshot on what you've seen and heard firsthand. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, look, we, we just started on... And, and the Mitchell Johnson Cricket Show, as it's called, it's, it's about his life. It's about uh, chronicling his uh, fascinating life uh, uh, before, after... Uh, during uh, that that you know very enigmatic career that he had, um, and, and everything else that he's spoken about since retiring. Uh, but uh, yeah, and ten years since that famous 2013-14 Ashes. So we did the build up last week, and this was about the first test and his uh, first famous spell in that series. Uh, but yeah, I mean he uh, he kind of broke the internet, didn't he? The day before we were going to uh, record. Um, and, and I think it was mutual. Like, yes, it's a podcast. It's not that he was a guest on my podcast or I wasn't interviewing him. So we mm-hmm. still had to do the podcast. Uh, and there's no way we couldn't have spoken about this uh, elephant. Who, no, not I think it's like a herd of elephants sitting in the room. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's how, that's how I looked at it. And I also said, look, everybody else seems to have had a word or their say on, on your article. And yes, you've made a lot of strong comments. Uh, you have your own platform, you have your own show, uh, so you have to talk about, uh, or, or I have to give you the op- option or the opportunity to talk about why, the whys and the whats, and you know what you put in, what you would have taken out, uh, 24 hours on from all the reactions that you got from, from former cricketers, but also like the general public. Mm. Do you think there's, I don't know how close, I mean, we know that... Um, 
that they obviously played together and they shared a bunch of success. And I heard Brad Haddon, I played it earlier, Barat, that um, had said last night on Fox Sports, one of the key things that he said was, A, he didn't see any beef when they were playing, but also he said that perhaps yeah. when the heat goes out of this story, and it was a really good term, I think, because as you well know, mm. when these things blow up, there's, there's intense heat around them, but eventually it will dissipate. Yeah. Do you think that there's a chance for... Reconciliation, I don't know if is the right word, but a chance for mm. Johnson and Warner, once the heat does die out, um, for them to get together. Is is it something you think that Mitchell Johnson would be looking for? I really, really hope so, and I really think so. Uh, I mean, having got to know Mitch really well in the last uh, few years, uh, I, I think you're right. Once the heat goes out, uh, he would want to uh, kind of, like, you know, uh, clear the air uh, face to face and, and you know everyone's different i think he what came across even during uh, our uh, recent recording about the article is uh, he's just someone who likes to clear the air face to face i don't know whether he's he's most comfortable doing it on the phone or on text messages so uh, i guess going forward at some point and, and, and let's face it yes i mean things have gotten out of hand in terms of how personal they are and mitch has owned up to it uh, and I think once you know Warner does retire, and he, both of them are sharing a media center together, these things have find a way of just sorting itself out. Uh, because the the amount of time I guess these guys spent uh, as brothers in that dressing room is much longer than you know the the time this kind of issue is going to last. So that so you would hope. And I, I'll give you an example. And I mentioned this. The only reason I do that is I mentioned it on the podcast. Uh, is, uh, after he wrote the Pat Cummins uh, piece uh, last year, or was it 18 months ago, um, clearly the relationship was strained between him and uh, his former fast bowling group. And, and I was there at the Wankere, uh, Mary, when Mitchell Stark and Mitchell Johnson bumped into each other and they had a lovely chat. And I know that meant a lot to Mitch, uh, Mitch Johnson, that is, that like, you know, at least he cleared the air with one of his uh, you know, erstwhile brothers in that dressing room. Uh, because that's yeah. how he's always referred to them. Uh, in, 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 or he did, did so in his book, and he's done that many times on the podcast. So I, I do hope so that you know people who are so close to each other, it, it, relations don't stay strained for forever, and they, they find a way to kind of just move on from it and get back to you know the good times if possible. Yeah. All right. Um. Just a quick one. So. Pakistan v. the Prime Minister's 11. Pakistan will bat first, uh, start in about 10 minutes' time. There's an obvious focus here. Marcus Harris, Cameron Bancroft, Matt Renshaw. What do you think? How much can you change selectors' minds or or influence what the selectors may be thinking throughout the course of a, <laughs> a, match, again, a, a match down there at Manuka Oval? What do they have to do to step above the others? Uh, look, I, I know we all love talking about bat-offs, don't we? And uh, mm. uh, the last serious bat-off Australian cricket had was Travis Head v. Usman Khawaja at the Karen Rolton mm. over two years ago before the Ashes. And I was there. Uh, and Usman Khawaja was the one who uh, you know, uh, made, made a few sacrifices for his team's sake. Uh, and Travis Head got the second innings 100 and he, he got the nod. But I don't think it came down to that. And we all know that. It's not going to be a question of, oh, it's Cam. Uh, it, they're not playing one-day cricket with each other. Right? It's not that Cam Bancroft makes 115. So if Renshaw can get to 117, he gets the nod. I think the selectors would have sort of made a decision in terms of uh, who amongst those three will make it to the squad. Let's start with the squad and not the team. But then if someone does something extraordinary, like make a 300 off. I don't know, 250 balls, or really does something special, even though it is a tour game, but it is against uh, an international opposition. 
then you give yourself a, a chance to, or, or you know, you kind of have broken the door down. Then haven't you? I don't think it'll be the traditional bat off where uh, one is pitted against the other or what. In this case, there are three, and don't forget, it's not just those three. Cam Green could do something special and mm. uh, make himself uh, put himself in a position where he cannot be left out anymore. Uh, and which means that the only option for him uh, would be at the top of the order. I can't see Manus open. And there is no way Steve Smith giving up number four. No, no, exactly. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, good on you, mate. Great to speak to you. You know, we've, over the last week or so, been talking about the sounds of summer. Sounds of summer to me, Barat on the radio. So I love it. Can't wait to hear more oh. of it. And uh, enjoy the season ahead, mate. Oh, I really appreciate you saying that, man. Yeah, and we'll catch up in Sydney as we always do, Matty. Look forward to it. We will do. Borat Sundarason joining us there. Um, SEN's cricket coverage right across the summer. Every ball coming away. I actually got to do a function this afternoon with the with the boys, Simon Cadditch and Dougie Bollinger. So we'll be um, parading our cricket team out there. But um, fascinating insights. You sit down with Mitchell Johnson. You're about to talk about the Gabba 2013 series and the test up there, and all of a sudden. Uh, the article that he wrote, as in Mitch Johnson wrote, is front and centre, and then you get a bird's-eye view of what else is going on. So the man in the eye of the storm, essentially. 0457 736 736 is our text line, or 1300 01 1170, our open line, right here on SEN. We're back. Uh, your text messages, 0457 736 736. In terms of viewing experiences... And game day experiences. Dan says, would love it if the NRL stopped the clock after a try is scored and restarted it at kickoff. And also the venues accept cash again. So annoying that they don't accept cash these days. What if the internet goes down Optus style? Everyone at the venue is screwed. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair enough. But I think you know, Dan, which way that one is going. Greg from Gundagai is just is just coming under attack left, right and centre. Greg, I reckon there's there's a few people there that are prepared to have a little a little look see. However, a couple of rules are also well, not only questioning your form, which is questionable, but uh, your your desires. Maddie, if I knew Greg was breaking in my yearling, well, I'd move it to a different stable. Not questioning his work, he said, but he's just a mock. That one from Matt. Word on the street says Simon from Balgowney. Greg's tip has just blown out to 101 bucks in the last three minutes. <laughs> well, Tommy's saying that he's gonna. You're gonna get on board, are you, Tom? Yep, righto. You're gonna have a little look see at race two, number six. Get along. Still at four dollars sixty. Gamble responsibly, of course. Uh, Peaches, you were here saying it all makes sense. Greg's horse is Greg's horse the favourite. If it isn't, he will be on the favourite. He's deflecting money away again. It's simple mathematics. Regards, Peach. What is the favourite? Infancy is the favourite at about $4 um, in that one. There's only eight horses in the field. It's over 1,000 metres, and it runs at 2.55 Eastern Daylight Saving Time. So 1.55 for our Queensland uh, audience there. So that's the story with Greg. What I want, says Dom, is more content. So viewing experience, more content, like shows like the footy show. At least one NRL game on free-to-air Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, and better time slots for the women's game so that I can actually watch it. But the main thing I want is it all on free-to-air because I will never pay for subscription services. Thanks, Dom. 
it's a good list, Dom, and I think a lot of people would agree with your list. They like more content around their sports. They obviously want free-to-air, and they would like better time slots for various things. However, um, I think you know also the way that it's going to there. And don't forget that that, that anti-siphoning rule ring, which protects sports so free-to-air viewers can get access to them, is right around rugby league. In fact, it's around every match of the NRL. So essentially, every single match of the NRL should be and is made available for free-to-air, but we don't get them all because they don't want them all. And then that has an effect on us. I think the good, bad or indifferent. I'm not saying it's good, bad or indifferent. Um, I'm quite happy with the way that it pans out, but I do have the subscription services as part of the industry that I work in. I think there's a big difference, says John from Launton, between being a journo and being a keyboard warrior. And I believe Mitchell Johnson crossed the line from journo when he made it personal with the Bunnings content and the sandpaper. I'll address that after the news because you do raise a couple of good points there. Um, We'll go to the newsroom first and we'll come back and do that along the way as well. Yeah, just on that text, John, about uh, Mitchell Johnson, you you say that you believe he crossed the line when he made it personal with the Bunnings content. Yes, and that was one of the things that he addressed I will say that because he did say post-writing that article that he regretted saying that and that he wished he didn't. Um, However, I don't think that Mitchell Johnson's ever professed to be a journo either. He's an opinion writer um, and crossing the line from journo to personal, I don't think we can put him in the journalist category. Whatever category you view that in, he's got an opinion to give across. And the other thing too that I think is happening here is that Mitchell Johnson is learning what happens when you write that kind of stuff and and the fallout that it can generate and then how you react to that, whether people like it or not. So it's all part of that process um, and it certainly caused a huge storm. Right, let's start some rugby league because we've been swamped with so much cricket and other stuff. I'm pleased to say that Scotty Sattler is on the line a fair bit to cover, even though it's the off-season stats. Good morning. Hello, Matty. How are you, pal? I'm good, mate. I'm I'm really good. David Fafita, uh, in doubt for round one. So mm. surgery today, is that right? Yeah, apparently getting him in as soon as possible. Just a training accident. Um, it, it's We usually go through these phases. I know the NRL physio has been great on social media for, for a fair while now, uh, outlining to, to fans, you know, rugby leagues and sporting fans about the extent of some in, injuries and what the timeline usually looks like. And we usually see this spate of injuries that we go that go through rugby league, and you know, it, at one stage yeah, it was syndesmosis. Everyone was going down with a syndesmosis injury, and I remember one stage there was a lot of pec injuries, and there was a lot of scientific study that was going into why there were so many pec injuries in in rugby league, and um, most notably not in the in the act of making a tackle in the game, but usually in the gym. So. Um, maybe you know with with Dave Fafita and um, he's a guy he's a he's a kid that's when he was sixteen seventeen he was a man child you know he 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 grew a lot bigger than a lot of a lot of other kids was introduced to elite training at a very early age and maybe you know, an injury of this of this nature is something that's just coming back to haunt him because he he just grew so quickly as such a young guy so um, but partial tear which is if you want to look at the silver lining of it all partial tear. Length, not quite sure at the moment. They're saying anywhere from six to 12 weeks where you know we're a full rupture of your pec. You're, you're pretty much gone for the season. So we know Tommy Trebojevich is coming back from a a, tech, a pec tear as well. So, yeah, it can be quite sensitive. Yeah. Um, you'd rather... 
And the other silver lining, I guess, you'd rather happen have it happen before the end of the year than at the start of the year, obviously, as the countdown gets closer and the amount of footy ahead of him. Righto, so that's the news out of David Fafita. I was interested last night, you spoke to Cameron George from the New Zealand Warriors, and I, I don't know if it was just one of those things, that's where we all read it, heard it, and thought that it was done, that Kurt, Kurt Capewell would be there in 2024, but they're not confident. Well, you know, we were all speculating and just probably reading into what we were, you know, what we were seeing each and every day. So we thought, let's just go straight to the source. And he's such a great guy, Cam George. He's, his time that, that he gives SEN, he's a, he's a true believer of SEN. And, of course, SENZ over there in, in all, where it's based in Auckland as well. And um, he, he's great with his time. And he's also very candid with his answers as well. He never tries to hide too much. Um, you know, he, he did say that uh, they've offered him a, a three-year deal from 2025. But if the Broncos are willing to entertain... Because uh, they can't, the Broncos have said that they can't entertain a, a lengthy deal at, at this stage of, of Kurt's career. He's, he'll come to the end of 2024 or through 2024 and see where he sits. Whereas we know in professional sports now, once upon a time you just got to the end of your contract, and when you got to that last sort of four or five week period of your contract, you used to you once upon a time you used to negotiate where you're going to go next. Well, now that um, you know, we, we see a lot of players now that if they can't be guaranteed uh, any further extension or terms to their careers, well, and they can get one somewhere else. Well, some clubs will let them go based on their age, uh, based on their history of injuries as well, uh, how brittle they may be when it comes to those injuries, and whether they're going to get another two, three, four years out of that player. So, because the Broncos can't commit, it's obviously a bit of a conundrum now for for Kurt Catewell and his family. Does he? Did he take an extended deal now and leave the Broncos and still go to another club that's going to be a, a powerhouse in 2024 and, and really threaten the premiership? Or does he stay there and try and, you know, try and, I suppose, put an exclamation mark on, on his time at the Broncos and then hopefully win a comp in 2024? Either way, he's going to be at a, a pretty powerful club. Um, yeah. He was a little bit, you know, he, he, as candid as he can be, can be, he was also a little bit apprehensive to, to put Kurt under too much pressure um, externally saying, no, we want him for 2024. He was respectful with the current deal at the Brisbane Broncos, but we're just, you know, we just plant the seed there to say if he does want to get out for 2024, we're willing to take him as of yesterday. Because <laughs> they know that every word is reported, listened to, and and put out there as well. So that's the Capewell situation. The Jerome Luai situation is almost same, same, but a little bit different. And the Panthers are now saying, and Matt Cameron, interesting that you've got Cam George there. Matt Cameron's a very cool operator as well. And, and he's saying, look, we're confident now that he's back um, or will come back on Friday to pre-season training that we can actually sit down and have a discussion with him. So we never know that a deal is done until it's done. And Penrith aren't going to let this guy go without a, a proper crack at it. Yeah, the longer it goes, and when he gets back to training, he's amongst his teammates that he's been with for many, many years through the junior reps, and they've had a lot of success together. It becomes very infectious, and to hear the listeners on the listeners on sports they will hear me say this uh, on repetition, but it gets very infectious when you get around those players, and you know that the club still wants you. And I think what the Panthers have been able to do, Matty, is they've been able to use this use this time period, and, and when he comes back to training, they can use it to their advantage. And and just have regular discussions with him. They have access to him 24 hours a day at the moment, whereas the West Tigers only have access to his manager fleetingly. So um, usually, it's sometimes wherever you put your head at night is going to get the 
you know, is going to get the most. Um, you, you're going to listen to them the most, and and that's the Panthers at the moment. And so I think the longer it goes, it also gives the Panthers the opportunity to say, listen, it's two years at eight fifty. Throw it out there publicly. All the clubs come in from everywhere like a bunch of seagulls, and they show their hand straight away. Four years, one point five million dollars reportedly from one club, now a million dollars from another club. It then gives the Panthers the opportunity to go, okay, we need to move a few things around. If it's if he wants not two years, but he wants three years, well, we can possibly do that. And both he and Nathan will come off at the same time if it's a three-year deal, which is a really good opportunity for Jerome Law to do that. He either re-signs with Nathan Cleary as a 7-6 partnership that tastes success, and they may have to probably give up a maybe a Taruva or a Taylor May or possibly a, a Tungor, but they've got young Jesse McLean coming through as well, a, a very impressive outside back. So they're in a pretty good position here, Penrith, to sort of manoeuvre some chess pieces to still keep Luai long-term and have both he and Cleary come off at the same time. Alternatively, if if he doesn't want to re-sign with the Panthers after the three years, it becomes the next best thing other than Cleary. It's on the market. So it's only a win-win situation. But I think the West Tigers now have to come... I think they have to draw a line in the sand soon and say to his manager, we need we need an answer by this date. If not, we've got to move on because it could affect other signings. Yeah. It's a good way to look at it too, I reckon, from the Penrith side, Scotty, too, because they, they do have to fight. I mean, everyone's going to have to fight to get his signature, whether it's incumbent or, or other. But they're the ones, as you say, that don't have to rush and they've had time to sit back and start mm. to plan around all this instead of just throwing money and what do you want, what do you want, I'll come and knock on your door kind of thing. Hey, just a quick one before I let you go. We've been talking, now the boys earlier this morning, Bossy and Brandy started talking about game day experience and a lot of our listeners have, have had engagement around that and I've taken it back towards the living room as well. So if we can tidy up the game, that's awesome when you're, when you're there. But what about when you're in front of the box and you're in your living room and your viewing experience, is, is there anything either at the game or when you're sitting around with a remote in your hand that, that you think that we could make the game better? There's something that you would like to see, perhaps, that other sports do? Oh, I've always been a bit of a traditionalist, but as I get older, I'm starting to turn a little bit, um, Maddie. You know, I, I love that chat this morning with Game Day Experiences with uh, Tony Mestrov. Um, I think it's great that some clubs get the opportunity to use a US-style market and get people out of their lounge rooms and to the games. I was sitting in the in the in the outside uh, tailgate parties, whatever it may be. Not every club can do that. You know, whether it's more mascots, more interaction. But sitting at home, you know, I, I think very soon we're going to see a player that's going to be mic'd up consistently in the game. Um, yeah. I think uh, I'd love to see after a player scores a try that on the way back while the while the goal kicker is uh, lined up to take the kick, that that player gets asked a question, walking back oh, into yeah. position on the field. It's never going to happen, but wouldn't mind seeing it. Um, wouldn't mind seeing maybe uh, the trainers, the head trainers that run, like a, you know, an Alfie Lang or a Shane Elford who are on the field more, more than anyone wearing some sort of head cam and when they're going to players and talking to them about injuries or Mate, how they're feeling we'll nev- or what the we'll never hear instructions the from the coaches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Sometimes it's actually better to listen to that, but um, <laughs> but I think yeah, those sort of those sort of um, those sort of areas where we're moving into the age of technology and giving access more to the to the in-game experience, I think would be really interesting. I'd love to see a a head trainer taking out messages from the coach and hearing him communicate them to a you know, to a Cleary or to a Munster or you know or whoever it may be, or at Origin when it's going to you know from Billy Slater or or Michael Maguire to their key players. I, I think that would be quite interesting. Mm. I like the one of the players coming back. I, I like that. And 
And I, I would disagree. I'd say that the, that it well and truly could happen. I mean, we would have said not too long ago that cameras being allowed on the ground, um, you know, in their faces as they're running back would yeah. wouldn't would never be allowed. I mean, in in your day as well. And now that happens, you know, all the time. So I could see I could see a time coming back where the player's running back while the while the kicker's getting ready, assuming the player's not the kicker. And that little snapshot, yeah, mate, it was an awesome pass. It was unreal. I dedicate this one to whoever, you know, I reckon that'd be really mm. cool um, because the technology's there. Good on you, mate. We've run out of time. Um, like I said, still plenty to talk about in, in rugby league. Appreciate your time. Look, I'm off for the rest of the season. I, I finish up tomorrow. I'm going to do my top 10 countdown tomorrow. So I just want to say to you, it's been fantastic working with you throughout the year, mate. Have a great Christmas to you and your family. You too, Matty. Thank you very much. Talk to you in the new year. Will do. Scott Sattler joining us there. We need to go to a break right here on SEN. Welcome back. So we've got some breaking news that James Fisher-Harris has won this year's Golden Boot Awards. So he's received it from Brad Fittler this morning at NRL headquarters. So that one just coming through. James Fisher-Harris, the Golden Boot Award winner of uh, this season. Some other news just to in sport. We'll talk about that soon. But just to in basketball... Adelaide 36ers have sacked their coach, CJ Bruton. Um, so he's been let go. He's been there since 2022, and he had a contract until the end of the current campaign with a win-loss record of 27 wins and 40 losses in his tenure at Adelaide. However, they are second last on the ladder with just four wins from 13 games this season. Assistant Scott Ninnis has been appointed interim head coach for the remainder of the year. So that one coming out of Adelaide in the Prime Minister's 11 at uh, Manuka Oval in Canberra against Pakistan. So none for 10. Pakistan um, won the toss and elected to bat. The Australian 11 is this. Marcus Harris, Cameron Bancroft, Matt Renshaw, Cameron Green, Nathan McSweeney, captain, Bo Webster, Jimmy Pearson, the keeper, Nathan McAndrew, Todd Murphy, Mark Steckerty and Jordan Buckingham who was a late call-up after Michael Nessa was taken out of that. So early days in that one, about 20 minutes worth of play in that one and no wicket yet for 10 runs. Um, So there's some news coming around thick and fast. We'll be catching up in our next hour with Ken Peace, who is the author of uh, the latest book about David Warner, The Bull, Daring to be Different. And I think Ken's written well and truly over 70 or 80 books and a lot of sporting books along the way. And we'll touch base on the kind of character that he establishes. I read a little bit of it this morning, including the stuff around what happened in 2018 and the Sandpapergate scandal. It's quite an interesting read. Matty, the value of TV streaming deal is all about content and product. As tech grows, the invasion on all sport will continue. I love it, but we need to be ready for the mistakes and raw emotion. The reaction will be players made into robots, says the Baron. Okay. I Yeah, I, I sort of see what you're saying there, Baron, but I think you might be a little bit too worried about um, technology coming on in. I, I can't see technology being an invasion on how we're going to consume our sport. If it's done correctly, and it's all there, it's only going to get better, is that it allows us to get to places that perhaps we didn't think were possible before. It allows us more aerial shots, for instance. I mean, I can tell you straight up, 
that the difference between getting a drone and a helicopter, I mean, helicopters used to used to budget around 600 to $1,000 per hour that they're in the sky. So you try and work that out versus sending up a drone that just needs one person to control it and you get the same shots. Bingo, there's a change straight up and the access that drones can do um, as well. So the streaming part of it, I don't see as an invasion at all. In fact, I see it as a positive we're going to have to pay for it, but we're going to have to pay for our sport. Very few countries around the world have anti-siphoning rules that protect free-to-air, which need protection, need protection, but there's got to be room for both, in my opinion. In fact, all streamers, subscription and free-to-air. Competition's a good thing. Talking of that, Robin Blacktown says, your thoughts on the Speed Series moving to free-to-air? Uh, I know you're personally affected by the change from Stan, but do you think it's a good thing? Uh, I'm not affected, Rob, by the change from Stan. I, I worked for the Speed Series in that one and absolutely love my time in it. So we'll see what happens in that one. My deal was with Speed Series, not Stan. So we'll see what happens down the track there. But going off to 7 and 7 plus will be a good one. Back after this. Welcome back. Final hour of the program. James Fisher-Harris is the Golden Boot winner of uh, this year and he's been handed that gong officially this morning from Brad Fittler at NRL headquarters. Uh, 0457736736 is the open line number or the text line number rather and you can be part of the conversation around that. But what a year for James Fisher-Harris. Georgia Hale, another Kiwi, and Francis Jeremy Burson won the women's and wheelchair golden boot categories as well. Fisher-Harris edged out the shortlist that had Payne Haas, Joseph Tarpany and Harry Smith. There's been a lot of conjecture around the golden boot of uh, 2023, but in terms of James Fisher-Harris, played in all three of the New Zealand's Pacific Championship Series games, including, of course, that 30-0 win over Australia and was part of the Penrith Premiership winning side along the way. A fair old year, you've got to say for James Fisher-Harris and Hale is the first forward to win the Women's Award, while Burson, France's first Golden Boot recipient in any discipline of the game, based in the Northern Hemisphere and, of course, couldn't attend the awards that were held this morning. Um, So that's how it's played out as the best international player of the year for James Fisher-Harris. Ken Peace, the author of The Bull, David Warner, daring to be different, is going to join me in about 10 minutes' time. Quick update of the Prime Minister's eleven. So that's underway. No wicket yet to fall. Abdullah Shafiq and Imam Al-Haq opening the batting for Pakistan. They elected to bat four-day match at Manuka Oval. And um, I'll just see who's been doing the bowling here for Australia. So... We've gone through three bowlers. Jordan Buckingham's getting his first over as we speak. Mark Steckerty and Nathan McAndrew with the opening overs of this one. So no wicket to fall as yet. None for 18. Pakistan after 17 and a half overs. Good morning, Matty. Um, this one from Keres, I think it is. There are already sports I no longer watch because I can't afford all of the streaming services. But it is sad that sport can only become increasingly elite and less accessible to the average person. Look, this is a debate that will continue, and I totally and clearly understand the fact that nobody wants to pay for something that we don't have to, and that quite possibly we shouldn't. But streaming services are in the game, and they're in the game big time, and they're only going to continue to get in the game. And the way that Amazon has 
announced their ICC Cricket World Cup deal and the effect that that will have on those that wish to watch those tournaments in between now and 2027, um, that you'll have to pay for it. Now, there might be a provision, say, at the Men's World Cup or the Women's World Cup where they do have a free-to-air partner. But they've got every right to go and purchase that because it's not on the anti-siphoning list. And the anti-siphoning list has a whole stack of stuff on it that is already protected and available to the free-to-air broadcasters first. That's the point about the anti-siphoning list that you need to know. Once it's there, it means that those in free-to-air land have first crack at it. However, they can purchase it and not show it free-to-air. Or they can just miss it completely. So I don't know if many people know that each match in the National Rugby League Premiership competition, including the final series, each match is on the anti-siphoning list. Therefore, essentially, it is available to -to free-to-air first. So whilst we have to pay to watch every match of Rugby League, if you want to do that across the course of the weekend, it's available in black and white, legally, as part of a parliament anti-siphoning government regulation that says it should be available first to all free-to-air. So they don't want all of them. And that's the thing. Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games, horse racing, Australian rules football, rugby league, rugby union, cricket, soccer, tennis, netball, motorsports, they're all on the anti-siphoning list. And I see that the chair of free-to-air TV, the chief executive officer, I should say, Bridget Fair, has said without updates to our anti-siphoning rules to bring them into the streaming age, there's a real risk we could lose the free broadcast of big events like the Matildas, so we can expect this debate to continue well into 2024. No, you can't. No, you can't. You shouldn't. Because each match of the World Cup tournament that involves senior Australian representative teams, men's and women's, are on the anti-siphoning list. Qualification tournaments, as long as they're played in Australia for the Matildas, should be on the anti-siphoning list. So you just got to dig through the information here and see what's really at stake. But the bottom line is all this, is this. The streaming giants, regardless of how deep their pockets are, have the right to purchase certain things and free-to-air regardless of how big their pockets are, have the right to purchase certain things as well. In fact, they've got more of a right. So the owners here, in my opinion, should go back to the free-to-air broadcasters and say to them, okay, you're protected. You get first crack at it. Go and get it. And if you don't want it, then legally, anyone else can have a crack at it. That's where it's at, whether we like it or not, and it's only going to get more of it. Uh, Mike is on the line, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. G'day, Mike. G'day, Matty. Um, I've got a bit of a wish for the uh, end of the year or the, or the coming year. Uh, six years, nearly. Are we going to go into a seventh year of talking about Sandpaper Gate? Mate, many, many years ago when I was a young fella, um, I made a mistake in my job and... Um, I think I lost the company an irrecoverable loss of about $1,500 or something. And I thought, this is it. And boss called me in and he said something interesting. And I've never forgotten that. He said, I think you're going to be worth more than $1,500 to us in the future. You get on well with people. You seem okay. 
and uh, I worked at that place for about 20 years. Um, can we just look at this the same way that these guys made a mistake? Have they ever done it again? No. Um, did somebody do it before them and only get a two-week suspension from South Africa? Yes. Is it still being done? Yes. But can we just move on? Yeah, yeah. Time time to move on. A lot of people, you know, they've served their time and they did what was what was handed to them and then move on. Look, I, it's it's a it's a very good story that you just tell there, and a very poignant story, I think, too. Um, obviously, this is this was played out on such a scale, Mike, wasn't it? That it was just so divisive along the way, and played out on such a big stage that it just kept going. And I think the other part too is that everybody, right, rightly or wrongly, everybody thinks that there's much more to this story that we don't know. And I think that's the part too that helps fuel a lot of this a lot of this discussion around it, plus the passion, too, around our sporting teams and our national cricket team. Absolutely. Good on you, Mike. I appreciate your call. Well, maybe my next guest can answer a, a couple of those points because Ken Peace is an acclaimed author, sports journalist and commentator. His latest book is The Bull, David Warner, Daring to be Different. And as I mentioned to you just before the news there, feisty, flamboyant, verbose and villainous Few have been as entertaining or as polarising as David Warner. That captures it beautifully, and I'm pleased to say that Ken is on the line. Good morning, Ken. Thanks for your time. Oh, thanks so much, Matty. My my pleasure. Hey, you've written a heck of a lot of books over a long, long time. I <laughs> want to know where this one sits because it's a it's a much deeper story. I read the the chapter and the excerpts around 2018, and you would have just heard Mike, our caller there, discuss the fact that it was a long time ago. And when do we when we get on with it, but how, how much of a different book was this one to the ones that you've written previously? Well, I started it with trepidation, Maddie, because I contacted James Erskine, uh, Warner's manager, and he didn't basically let, let me near Davey. And so it meant that I had to talk to his mentors, his coaches, his mates, the selectors, and so the book has really been told through the eyes of those closest to him. And I'm really glad it has been because if this isn't a honeyed biography in, in any way at all, like I throw the punches and they're out there. We talk about all the so-called uh, good things, uh, him being um, expelled from the Cricket Academy as a 19-, 20-year-old in Brisbane, the punch on Joe Root at the walkabout bar, all the polarising on-field stuff, the sledging of Jacques Carlos and every South African, A.B. de Villiers, these sorts of boys. It's been an amazing... Like, he was, as you were saying, wild and wanton, especially early, especially before meeting Candace. But since then, he's really improved. And I went, in writing this biography of him, from being as polarised as any of the callers in any of the text messages to really warming to him each and every day and now, on uh, while I don't condone what happened uh, with cricket being brought undone, such a raft of resignations, and uh, there was just mayhem, chaos off the field that he created. But at the same time, he's had this amazing roller coasting career. And I'm with your last caller. It happened five years ago. Maybe it is time to forgive him. Which is a really interesting point too. I mean, you go very deep into what happened there and and you take us to areas, I guess, that a lot of people don't really 
don't really know about or recall what happened at Sandpaper Gate in 2018, which was an extraordinary time. And the level that it played out or the, the amount of traction that it gained and the storylines that it generated were off the charts, Ken. I mean, absolutely incredible, as you well know. But there is a feeling well, that there's still more to come, yeah, isn't on. there? Maybe. Well, there's certainly going to be because David in time will do his own autobiography when he does retire from test so sometime in 2024 at the time one of the cricket australia sponsors rang james sutherland the then ceo he's with golf now of course saying that the one-year bans for smith and warner and nine months of bancroft were far too lenient he wanted them all all three to get life and when uh, sutherland said no uh, they've got their fair fair whack he withdrew his company's six million dollars sponsorship and so his thoughts were really echoed that of the public we were so angry but it wasn't necessarily warner's fault there's certainly the initial act was but that night and we were at the press conference at newlands at cape town smith and bancroft came up there and they told blatant lies absolute lies and australia don't mind being beaten at sport but we don't want to cheat and we certainly don't want to lie about it so that exacerbated everything and it made it so difficult (laughs) for warner and smith to be able to once again, get the trust of the Australian sporting public. Absolutely. As you rightly point out there, the polarising nature of David Warner is there for all to see. We talk about it, and at the moment we're talking about it a lot, especially off Mitchell Johnson, but the entertaining side. So let's just go back to cricket terms. In the entertaining side, the first Aussie cricketer to play 100 internationals across tests, ODIs and T20s, He's done the lot, and he sells tickets. He puts bums on seats. So when you take away, even if it is the off-field, or in this case, the on-field stuff, and you just focus on David Warner, the cricketer, what kind of story did you get out of that? Well, it was really incredible. Like, uh, his skill set is amazing. Greg Chappell did the four, and he actually wrote it before I'd even sent him one word of the manuscript. He believed in me, but he also believed in Warner so much. He was the one that was really trying to fast-track him. And he had ringed Brian Tabor in Sydney and said, Tabs, you've got to pick this kid. He's just a, he's just a white ball whacker. He's just a, a slogger. No, no, Tabs, he's going to be far, far better than that. He's from the wrong, wrong side of the, of, of the river. Tabs, come on, that's never worried you before. But Warner would go into the uh, in the SCG nets. Uh, Bing Lee would be bowling, and Nathan Bracken, sometimes Stewie Clark. Come on, boys, just pitch it as short as you like. Try and knock my block off, and he'd go whack and whack. And he, he had this amazing mercurial spirit, and he he just refused to buckle and conform. And some of people around cricket can be pretty conservative. Were really turned away by this cocky kid. But that was just part, that brashness is all part of why he became so good. If you take that away, and Justin Langer did a, a bit in 2019 in the Ashes, he wanted him to play a foreign game, not go out and whack the ball like he has in Australia in particular, you know, where he's been just about the ultimate flat, bat, uh, flat track bully. He wanted him to play defensively and buy time and allow Smith and Labashan, some of these boys, uh, to go in against a softer ball when the wicket had flattened. And Warner, being the team man, being the ultimate team man, maybe one of the um, greatest team players Australia has ever had. If you speak to Trent Woodhill, his master batting coach, about that, um, he'll tell you the story. Um, He he, he conformed and he averaged, what, under 10. Only scored 160 and 95 
uh, runs for the whole 10 innings. So um, by playing the foreign game didn't work for him. So he's best when he goes out, like in the MCG Boxing Day Test match, which triggered this book. He made 200 and a publisher rang me and said, Ken, do you think you could do a, a book on Warner? He certainly deserves it. Everybody loves him again. And I think they do. But one of the mistakes, if you like, Warner made, uh, Matty, is that he didn't really break down in tears at his press conference like a Steve Smith, who was inconsolable, yeah. realising the enormity of what had happened. He's really let his bat talking, and he hasn't done too much talking on exactly what happened and just how remorseful he is. Maybe that is to come for his own book in 12, 18 months' time. Yeah, I reckon you're right. Um, just finally, so when you saw Mitchell Johnson's comments and and the firestorm that started after that, Ken, what was your reaction? Oh, well, he's saying a lot of uh, things, Mitch, that a lot of the public uh, are saying, but there's obviously some old skeletons in, in the closet there uh, because it's impossible when you tour, and uh, somebody else was asking me about Andrew McDonald, the coach today, uh, you know, he could have the job for life given his success. I said, well, I don't think he's going to want the job for life because when you travel with the Australian team and Davey Warner's there in all three formats, he's away from home, that beautiful luxury home uh, right on the beach, you know, for 300 days out of 365. And when you travel with the same set of boys, like you are like brothers, but every family has fallouts. They all have rumbles. And this one is a big one right now. Mm, absolutely. How many books are you up to at the moment, mate? You, you'd be well over. Yeah, <laughs> you, uh, you a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I haven't got a hundred. Jack Pollard's out of Sydney, uh, going back a generation. He uh, wrote or published something like ninety-six or ninety-seven. I'm up to eighty-seven. So twenty on twenty oh. on AFL, sixty-six on cricket, and that's including some ghosted ones. Maddie, as you know, I've yeah. been a friend of so many of the champions of the game: Lockett and Brereton and Dunstall. Uh, Paul Salmon, uh, Tony Liberatore, these sorts of big names down south in, in Melbourne. So I've included those amongst those 87. Uh, one was written on the war about my dad and his experiences as a commando uh, after Singapore had fallen. So I've really been living the dream for the last 20 or 30 years, yeah. writing my books, uh, Maddie. And um, if people love sport, at some stage in their library, they're going to have a Ken Peace book somewhere there. <laughs> <laughs> so you're 87 not out, which in cricketing terms means, and those listening who understand that will know that I've got both feet off the ground while I talk to you because uh, it's the it's the unlucky <laughs> number when you're <laughs> when you're a batter. But I'm sure you've got plenty to come. Great to catch up with you this morning and get the insights. Looking forward to reading this book in its entirety. Um, it's been a pleasure to speak to you this morning, Ken. Thanks so much. Thanks again, Matty. For people who want the signed limited edition of the Bull David Warner, they can go to my website, cricketbooks.com.au. But thanks again, Matty, for your time. Good man. Cricketbooks.com.au. The Bull David Warner, daring to be different. Written by Ken Peace. He's also written the ABC of Cricket, On Your Warney, Favourite Cricket Yarns. Did a book on the Taylor years, 1994 to 1999, and plenty as well on AFL in particular. Um, but there's some insights on the man who is a hot topic of conversation right now. We're back after this break. A wicket has fallen in the Prime Minister's 11 match against Pakistan at Manika Oval in Canberra, and it's been taken by Jordan Buckingham, um, who's currently got the figures of one for two. So he's struck through, and he has got Imam Al-Haq out for nine, caught 
Jimmy Pearson. So a breakthrough already, one for 25, Pakistan on the first day of play in the Prime Minister's eleven, And just on that, Simon says this Jordan Buckingham looks like a very good prospect. It's the first time I've seen him bowl, but he looks the goods. And just as I'm texting, he's taken an early wicket. That's the one. Simon, thank you for that. Yes, came into the team when they removed Michael Nesseris essentially as precaution uh, for the summer of cricket ahead. So taking that opportunity and taking it very, very well. Uh, Shan Masood, the skipper, is in now. So one for 25, Pakistan on the first day of play. Good chat there with Ken Pease, cricketbooks.com.au. Take your pick. There's 87 books for you to read, um, but it's quite interesting. This whole David Warner situation, as he gets towards the end of his career, I mean, this happens with so many cricketers, but when we're talking about one who's um, as front and centre as David Warner has been for such a long, long time, it always gathers pace, doesn't it? Everything gathers steam and everything starts to bubble up, and we're going to see more and more of that. Crime scene on the text line says, over time I have warmed to the character of David Warner. He's uncompromising, and I believe... He will prove to be one of our most engaging commentators in the future. Thank you for that. Sir Nick on the text line. As far as free-to-air goes, I think they're far too protected in the market. You can't convince me that pay TV and streaming services don't offer a better product, especially for the NRL, and we still have to put up with an inferior product for the biggest games of the year. I could see the argument if it was the ABC or SBS, which aren't there to make money, Everyone else should be on an even playing field. Thank you, Sir Nick. Uh, on that, Rooster Man says, get rid of Andy Siphoning. Give a subsidy to pensioners to get a rebate, and the rest is open market. Free-to-air don't know how to do sport, according to Rooster Man. So there's some thoughts around this whole scenario. Kev has said, and I didn't see this this morning, Kev, just watched the opening ceremony of the Prime Minister's Eleven, and a lot of the Aussie players did not sing the national anthem. Very disappointing. Uh, hard for me to comment because I didn't see it at all. But if you don't want to sing the national anthem, you don't necessarily have to, do you? I mean, as long as you're not being disrespectful, in my opinion, to the national anthem, then that's fine. Some people like to sing sing out the national anthem and some don't. It's as simple as that to me. And I'm one of the most patriotic blokes you'll speak to, Kev. But it's disappointing to you and that's fair enough. However, I think it comes down to an individual choice. Um their reasons behind it are their personal reasons. So I'm, I'm happy with it either way. It doesn't bother me, mate. I'm certainly not going to get wound up about anything like that. Just listening to Kerry O'Keefe commentating on the Prime Minister's 11 on Fox, and he said he's very bullish about Pakistan's chances this summer and not to write them off. Skull's a great student of the game, and I respect his opinions on cricket. So do we all. He sats off his head saying he wants to hear what instructions are being relayed out, what plays they're going to make against the other team. Let's just sit in the coaches, uh, sit the coaches in the same box and let them say to each other what they're going to do next. Come on, says the Spring Farm Crusher. I like Satz's thoughts around let's hear from the players as they're coming back from scoring a try, that is. Because hearing from the players as they're going off at halftime, it, it is what it is, and I get that. Um. It is what it is, but there's that raw emotion there, and it wouldn't be too hard to do. I mean, they still get back, and they, you know, they often do signs, hand signals, whatever they can do there. Um, anyway, so what's, you know, why not just 
whack a little drone in front of them, perhaps, or somebody running backwards with the camera and just have a quick chat. Hey, mate, what about that? Yeah, cool. That was unreal. Loved it. First try. Um, <laughs> I don't know. However, <laughs> however they're going to react to it. Never scored a try of the NRL myself, so I wouldn't know what to say. Let's go to the newsroom. Independent, trustworthy and dazzling. Time now for Tommy's Tribune. Ah, Tommy's Tribune gets a start on this uh, Wednesday morning. What are we thinking for Tommy's Tribune, Tommy? Oh, lost him. He's not there. Can't hear him. We'll find him. He's, he's got a call in now. Have you, have you not mastered one three hundred oh one eleven seventy, Thomas? Sorry, Matty. I was just doing some other stuff there. Um, I'm in now. No, no Tribune today. No Tribune today. Gonna I was going to say. a little bit ahead of ourselves for Friday. That's all right. But you know what? When, you, when we need to hear the Tribune theme... Um, I reckon too many times is never enough, but we'll look for the Tribune tomorrow. Tomorrow? No, do it tomorrow or Friday? I oh, know we'll do it tomorrow. Give me to your last show. Yeah, we'll have to do it tomorrow. So I, I'm not here on Friday. I've actually got some um, things to do on Friday, including a graduation that I've got to go to across the weekend. So anyway, that's that's why I'm bailing out early this uh, this week. Now, what else is happening in your world today? You, you earlier said to me that you're going to back Greg from Gundagai. 100%. 100%. Um, I'm backing now, man. I'm going to... Look, I won't, I won't back him every single race. He's got for us, he's got for us you know, when he when he puts a tip out there. But as I said, I think it was last week or maybe the week before with you, Matty, I'm always going to back the guy that is willing to put his neck out there and say, hey, Matty, hey, Tommy, got another tip for you. Um, because we don't get a lot of those on the open line. Now, I'm not saying every listener needs to do that, but with all the crap that he has gotten from ourselves and from the listeners, respectfully, Greg is still the man to willingly put his neck out on the line and continue to deliver us tips. So I'm going to back in this time. I'm on, get along, um, put about 15, 20 bucks on it. What are you really gambling with? Still paying $4.80 right now. Race two, number six at Warwick Farm. The favourite infancy has come in um, to $4.20. But I'm backing Greg. He had, what did he say? He had coffee with Wayne Hawks this morning. So he's yes. man who's one of the trainers on get along. So 100% I'm going to back him. Okay. Um, viewing experiences. So we've taken it. We've taken it from game day experience into viewing experience. Now I mm-hmm. made the point early on, and obviously I've made a lifetime living in this in this land and and this um, this sphere of sports broadcasting in this country. So I'm of the opinion that our sports broadcasting in Australia is is up there with the very best. But there's always more we can do, and there's more coming our way. So let's just imagine that technology can do whatever you want. Um, you've got access to whatever you want, depending on you know how you're going to how you're going to consume it. And let's just think about football, NRL. As as two AM Tommy sitting on his lounge watching the footy, what else could you see that you would want more of? Well, Matty, I do like um, my NFL, and one thing that they've done the past two years on ESPN is called for Monday Night Football. It's called Manning Cast. So they get Peyton Manning and Eli Manning brothers, and both NFL former quarterbacks, both NFL legends, um, and they're watching the game. So it's kind of a split screen between three. You've got a camera on Peyton, you've got a camera on Eli, and you've got a camera on the game. And usually every week as well, they'll get someone in to interview. And it's, it could sometimes be a former NFL player, could be a basketballer, 
could be an actor, a comedian, a, so, uh, um, a singer, famous singer, and they're analysing the game. They're commentating on the game every now and then. They're also talking about their own experiences in the NFL. And then they're interviewing someone. They're usually celebrities, every time a celebrity, different categories, about their relationship with the NFL, um, you know, what their relationship is with the game over the few years. So I was thinking, could we have that in the NRL? And I know, look, we haven't got an update yet on the rift that plagued um, 2023, and it may feature on your top stories of 2023 tomorrow, Matty, but imagine if we could have a Manning cast, but instead it's a Johns cast. Mm. Now, mm. Uh, some sort of agreement would have to happen between Channel 9 and Fox Sports, but imagine if we had a Johns cast where it's Matty and Joey split screen between um, Sunday Ivo football or Monday night football, or Thursday night football, whatever, they're analysing the game, so they're going full, you know, footy analytic brain. You get an insight into Joey's head, an insight into Matty's head. They're talking about the game, the um, the best plays in the game right now. They're talking about their own experiences. They get to interview someone, whether it's a current player, or a former player, um, an actor who loves their footy, a singer who loves their footy. So still in a bit of what ESPN do in the NFL and saying with the Manning cast, can we do that with our very own John's cast? moving forward that's a little initiative i think would be pretty cool to see yeah yeah it'd be cool to see ain't going to happen while one works for one and the other works for the other so yes, well i know I, that I, but we, one can we, dream we don't know if they're talking at the moment we don't know if they're, if they're actually on speaking terms you're right actually that didn't um i gotta be honest my top 10 stories of sporting stories of 2023 i just didn't that i didn't have that at all the the Matty Joey blow up. Um, yeah, we so need we need an update, and hopefully it's all sorted when Morning Glory returns in February next year. Mm, yes, right. Let's see how that one plays out. But you've you've just reminded me this is going to happen a lot. I think tomorrow I've got my ten, and I think the more that we go through our ten or my ten sports stories, that people will dive in, and you'll go. You know what? I. I I did a lot of research. I did my homework, but there's some things that you just miss along the way, which is part of the great interaction. Hey, what have you made about this live golf stuff? Now it's getting closer and closer and closer. And the more I read and see, the more I'm expecting that the John Rahm deal is going to happen very soon. In fact, it's now getting to the imminent stage and the numbers are starting to get more specific so that the floating number of 600 million is now narrowed down to 565 million. Mate, that's 860 million Australian dollars. So it's getting closer and closer that this deal could be announced. They're saying within the next two days that it would be announced. But as a sports fan, what do you think when you see these astronomical numbers being handed out to golfers? And is it going to make any difference to how you view the game or whether or not you want to go to live or you want to watch PGA? Um, look, I don't think money really impacts whether a golf fan or a lingering golf fan is going to go um, to watch golf. I know Brandy's banging on about this on breakfast and you have as well, Matty, but it's like we haven't got a lot. The, the past weekend has shown like if you bring some of the top line talent to Australia, look at the live golf event that happened in Adelaide this year. And the scenes that happened there, I know some of my really close friends went to Adelaide and they said they had an amazing time. So we haven't been that lucky in Australia the last few years in terms of getting the top line talent in our country. So I honestly don't think 
fans in general. I, I, look, I could be generalizing here, but I don't think fans really care about the prize money that's on offer or the, you know, it's an interesting headline. Oh, this guy can, is, can win this much or this guy is signing for this much. But I just think, especially in Australia, if you want more golf events in Australia, more championships in Australia, more tours in Australia, if you can get some of the, just the top line talent to regularly come down here, people are going to go watch it if it's a PGA event or it's a live event. And I know you've banged on about that point for a while. If you get the talent here, people are going to go watch. It's a lot of money. It's a heck of a lot of money to play, to pay one person to play a game of... <laughs> uh, look, I, I know, game. but I mean, what, what is John Rahm going to turn it down? Like, I can't be upset that he's really good at golf and someone's willing to offer him that money. Like, sure, I wish I was good at golf and I can get that money, but I can't. I mean, best of luck to John and his family. He's lucky enough. He's worked hard enough to get that money. So, what, is he just going to turn down the, the offer and say no? Like, of no, course not. And, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's game-changing stuff. It's generational wealth that you can't turn your back on. They're rich enough as it is, but it's generational wealth. It's an astronomical figure, $860 million Australian dollars, 565 US, which is about 450-odd million pounds. Um, it's just absolutely extraordinary. And when it happens, if it is going to happen, there have been a lot of denials, it will it will trigger that, – that number will just sort of – become a sub-headline very, very quickly because it will trigger a bigger debate about where Liv is really at versus PGA now and where the merger's really at. Just on the text line, somebody said, what was that tip? Sorry, my ears are stuffed. That was Lester from Penrith. The tip, well, it's Greg from Gundagai's. It's race two at Warwick Farm today and it's get along, number six. Race two, number six. What are you really gambling with? Gamblinghelponline.org.au. Um, two more predictions. You've got two predictions for next year. Yeah, both come in the NRL, and I'm gonna. Uh, we said it last week. We said it this week. In Madge, we trust. I'm gonna stick my uh, my neck out like Greg from Gundagai. Madge is gonna lead the Blues to a series sweep. You heard it here first. Series sweep led by Madge. And the other one, Matty. No team in the NRL era has gone to five straight grand finals. The Storm went to four from 06, 7, 8, 9, but that was obviously, you know, they were breaching the salary cap there. Storm went to another three in a row, 16, 17, 18. Um, Panthers are looking to become the first team to go to five straight NRL grand finals in 2024. I'm going to back history and say they won't make the grand final next year. So two bold predictions. Panthers won't make the grand final and Madge to lead the Blues to a series sweep. Ooh. Okay. All right. There you go. 0457 736 736. We'll take a break. Come back with your texts and calls after this. Welcome back. Dan says, uh, long shot here, but a roof above the SCG in Homebush. Also seats with USB ports on every seat. So this is game day experience. And a screen in front with live TV coverage sound coming through a speaker. That way, while at a game, you can replay certain events in said game. That's taking it to the next level. A roof would be nice, wouldn't it? I don't follow NFL, says Mike, but I'd tune in just to get an insight into the Johns brothers' heads. <laughs> Thank you. One golfer will be paid almost the GDP of Samoa, says Tim. Well, just on that, this will be a further conversation. I guarantee you that it will lead further down the path of what's it going to mean. And in terms of the amount of money that... John Rahm would be getting, but then also, okay, what happens next? Uh, an Australian Golf Digest column 
says Aram defection not only gives Liv um, you know, a formidable signing at a point where it desperately needs some vigour, it could be the bridge for other stars to follow. True, the same thing was said about Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Cameron Smith, but the game is at a crossroads and his decision, Ram, could decide which road the professional sport will travel. The PGA Tour will go on, but a tour without John Ram is a tour that's weakened. That doesn't mean Live Golf wins its battle against the PGA Tour. It just means the battle continues, which, for the rest of golf, sure feels like a loss. Putting it into perspective there, but it also gives you an idea of just how big, and this is why it's such a big story, just how big any potential move from John Rahm could be. One for 48, Pakistan on the opening day of the match against the Prime Minister's 11. So Jordan Buckingham, the sole wicket-taker at the moment, figures of one for 10 off five overs with two maidens in between. Todd Murphy is bowling his first over as we speak. Uh, Abdullah Shafiq not out 24 or 58 deliveries and Shan Masood is also at the crease after Imam Al-Haq was dismissed Court Pearson bowled Buckingham for 9 so 1 for 48 on day 1 of that match between the Prime Ministers 11 and Pakistan and yes Marcus Harris, Cameron Bancroft, Matt Renshaw Cameron Green all in the starting 11 Nathan McSweeney the skipper, Bo Webster Jimmy Pearson, Nathan McAndrew, Murphy Steckerty and Buckingham make up the Australian 11 side. It's a four-day match. Um, Matty, I've never been big on game day experiences. I'd rather watch reserve grade plus the main game and sit on the hill than worry about how good the Wi-Fi is, what brioche buns they've got or the like. We go to watch the footy so the other stuff doesn't really bother me and the kids. The only thing that does annoy me is the not bringing your own food in. I don't want to line up for a pie and miss half the game. That's fair enough. When it comes to TV coverage, and in brackets he says, I watch most games each week on Fox. I think they miss a trick with post-game stuff, but it's hard with games running back-to-back or they go straight into Maddie's show and the like. And then the rest of your text um, to our listener there sort of falls away a bit, but then it says about dedicated channels, and that's one of the great things. I mean, you've got the ability already if you're a Fox subscriber to dance around and there are minis and all sorts of stuff that goes on so there's a lot of dedicated things that can happen there's there's more and more that can be done it's been an interesting exercise to see what it is you want I, I wondered how far we go down the technology road and how much you want um, more direction from your own lounge room and how much you wanted technology to play a part in that but it's more about the experience to me, it's more about who you want to see and what you want to see, as in more post or pre-match stuff and certain characters or um, certain commentators. That's been interesting to see that it's narrowed down there versus, okay, give me more buttons on my remote. Give me more options. Give me more of this, more interactive stuff. Give me the chance to go to this camera or that camera. I thought quite possibly that's the road that we go down. Uh, We will take our final break. We'll come back and wrap it up and then hand over to Jimmy Smith after this. Just in the break there, I managed to catch the uh, opening over from Jordan Buckingham in the Prime Minister's 11 match. All six deliveries. It was a wicket maiden, and it was a heck of a way to introduce himself. He removed Imam Al-Haq on his final ball of his first over, which was an absolute screamer of an over. Tomorrow on the show, the director of the Test Series, which you'll see on Amazon Prime Video, Adrian Brown, will join us. So it covers the fallout of what happened at the Ashes. 
we'll do our top 10 sporting stories of 2023, our final Everyone's a Winner quiz. It'll be my final show of 2023, so I hope you can join us tomorrow morning. I'm going to hand over to Jimmy Smith. Don't forget the run home later on this afternoon as well. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for your input and hope to chat tomorrow. Bye for now.